Hi everyone, and here here. In season three of my audiobook podcast, I'm reading you my latest fiction story, Bigger Than Ourselves. After the chapter, stay tuned for a mini blogcast, a blog reflection I'll read into the episode reflecting on the chapter a bit further. The stories from all three seasons are available in a new paperback compilation called Go Your Way, available now on Amazon. For more info on this compilation, a link to buy, and links to my other writing, head to my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Or find me on Instagram and Twitter at thisladdan. All right, time to meet Adam. Here's chapter four. Some Octobers really hang on to the greenness in their leaves, stubbornly retaining the stems and petioles, offering last bursts of sun and rain to the drying branches. Other Octobers send the leaves packing, shrouding the sun with reckless abandon and bringing a bite to the chilly winds that send the leaves to their compostable fate. In any case, Halloween sneaks up on everyone, and pumpkins and spiderwebs are everywhere before you know it. October is ordinary time, and ordinary time. Religious ed programs and school classrooms are humming along, sort of. The degree of understaffing or limited resources is well known and well into mitigations, if possible. And the zeal of many a minister is propelling skeleton crews forward into the heart of another season of learning. The special attention available often falls to the newbies. The preschoolers screaming through their first days of threes, the kindergartners and sixth graders moving up to new digs, and the freshmen getting lost in the traffic of high school hallways. But not to be forgotten are the college freshmen, whose opening doldrums and initial queasiness are hopefully behind them by now, as they approach their first midterm exams and papers. The lucky ones get a long weekend or a week off from the new work, and they might decide to head home for what they'd surely hope is a safe and secure respite, with parents all too glad to see them again. Adam had already popped home once, for a quick overnight visit. A parent from youth group had invited him to come talk to the current teens at his parish, about his early vocation inklings at the University of Notre Dame. A friend from home who had also come to Notre Dame was already popping home for a family event, so it was easy to hitch a ride on Saturday night and head back with him late Sunday. When he showed up at home, his mom, Mary, was both excited and confused, and then a little disappointed that it was just a 24-hour visit. At the youth night, Adam decided to focus on getting used to campus and independent life, and only hinted briefly at a major, which in that moment he cited to be theology. Truth be told, he had no clue what he might do. He only knew that he didn't know. Socially, he was okay with the people he was chatting with in classes. The guys in his dorm section were nice and genial enough, funny and fun without being too brutish or out of control. The one thing he felt particularly good about was going to church. All he had to do to discharge his Sunday obligation was walk downstairs into an in-house chapel. He didn't have to make plans or build out a schedule or routine. He didn't have to change into nice clothes. He didn't even have to put on shoes. It was just a matter of walking down the stairs and sitting down. The chapel was old, a bit beat up, and not real big. The pews were snugly filled, mostly in-house guys from end to end with a few female visitors sprinkled in. The music was amateurish, a pianist, a violinist, and a trumpet player blasting along with little rehearsal, playing only the basics of Gather's greatest hits. Now that's what I call church music and the traditions of banging the pews like drums and engaging in a five-minute meandering sign of peace certainly distinguished this particular milieu. Adam loved all of it. The accessibility, the communal warmth, the ragtag simplicity, the mass just as he knew it and yet totally brand new. 
It was from this liturgical experience that Adam happened upon a faith-sharing group that met in the lounge of his dorm's sister dorm. Only two weeks in, Adam could already sense kindred spirits. He met a handful of folks, men and women, from different parts of the country who offered moderately vulnerable questions and reflections as they read the upcoming Sunday's scripture. One new friend was even Protestant, but the one young man in the group who was an undergraduate seminarian was the one that sort of triggered Adam. Adam wasn't ready to share this with his new group, but he himself had intermittent thoughts of priesthood that would come and go, and never left him completely. And something about the joy of his new mass community and the insight of this faith-sharing group had brought them back in earnest. He'd come home intending to have a lay-low fall break. His intentional lack of plans left him plenty of time and space to relax, but it also meant his mind would be able to get racing on these newly entrenched discernment thoughts. Adam's dad, Josh, was a Catholic high school history teacher. He surely left some money on the table by teaching at a Catholic school rather than a public school, but Josh was fine with paying a bit of a happiness tax to be where he wanted to be. That Monday night of Adam's break, Josh would be stuck late at school for parent-teacher conferences, but Adam and his dad planned to get breakfast on Tuesday when Josh's school then got a late start. Adam's mom, Mary, practiced law, working on corporate deals and contracts rather than litigations. She had earned her way to higher-profile work, supervisory and mentorship roles, and a healthy compensation package. Mary didn't pull the hours she used to have to pull, but she certainly was not one to be home for dinner every night. Between the two of them, Adam had a strong but still tricky portrait of following your skills and passions to a career and vocation. He had two loving, attentive parents and a stable, sturdy household where needs were met, bills were paid, but he only had a hazy idea of how much he could or should prioritize making as much money as he could. His older brother Martin and his older sister Martha had also gone to Notre Dame. Marty took the passion project bit a little too seriously. After studying American studies in journalism, he tried, resisted trying to find a full-time gig with a publication and stuck to freelancing and stringing, which came with no salary and often too trickily a flow of work. Luckily, he lived at home and made ends meet by moonlighting as a club sports coach and living rent-free. Over time, he actually built out a serious network of editors and contacts and stayed pretty busy, even if the income didn't knock his socks off. Later on, he met a great woman named Rose, who was a resident at a local hospital. He married her, and after her residency ended, they moved away and started having kids. Marty got to juggle a reduced freelance and coaching load with stay-at-home parenthood, and as far as he was concerned, he was living the haggard dream. Martha went hard on marketable skills and earning power. She set a laser beam focus on the business school and burrowed hard into accountancy, adding a fifth year of grad work and securing her CPA as a 23-year-old. She brought a fellow CPA named Benjamin home from school with her, and they found a good dynamic, surely understanding each other's work in busy seasons while squeezing in some couple's time. They stayed put near home, and Martha brought a set of twins into the world. After staggered paternity leaves, it was off to daycare for these six months old and Martha and Benjamin put their noses to simultaneous grindstones, dead set on being productive accountants as well as excellent parents. Across these five converging and diverging paths, there was a strong family thread of faith. No matter the vocational expressions, all five of them went to church, whether together at home or separately in their various states of life. The Mass, the Eucharist, and the Sunday community were part and parcel of their family life and their personal lives, and that was a thread that ran constant, from past to present and into future. But one ball of yarn began to unravel that Monday night. Marty lived out of town. Martha was nearby, but up to her neck in work and little ones. 
Josh was working late for conferences, and Mary would work into the evening like she always did. That meant it was just Adam, home alone, hoping for a not-too-late dinner with Mom. He decided to take some initiative and grab some groceries to make a simple pasta and bread meal for his mom. Adam got the heads-up text around 7 p.m. Hey, honey, leaving soon. See you in 30. So he baked in a little lag time for the inevitable inaccuracy of a mom text and started cooking 30 minutes later. He had strained the water and begun plating food when his mom rolled in. Oh my gosh, that smells amazing, his mom gushed, detecting the Italian seasoning and simmering tomato sauce coursing through the air. She kissed him on the cheek while landing her palm on top of his head. She leaned against him for a brief moment while giving his shoulder a squeeze and heading on. Gonna change, be back in a minute, she called over her shoulder, heading upstairs to her room. Adam got two plates ready and set the table a bit for them. He sat down with his travel water bottle freshly filled with ice water just as she returned. They talked about their days a bit, from her stacked up meetings with a paralegal out sick to his hitting golf balls at the local driving range. By the time they were spinning last corners of bread and leftover sauce puddles, Mom got to asking bigger questions. So, have you zeroed in on a major? What do you think? She asked. Ha, hmm, well, Adam started. This is an exciting moment, Adam, she encouraged. You've worked so hard and gotten to this great opportunity at a great school. You just have to try to find the right thing to engage yourself and get set up for a stable, strong living. Thanks, Mom. I just... I was actually thinking about theology a bit, Adam stammered. Mary paused. She was practiced enough at life and motherhood not to blurt some half-baked instinctive answer, but maybe not immune to stepping in it a bit nonetheless. After a beat, she said, Oh, uh, theology? Okay. And so, hmm, what would you do with that? Well, I'm not completely sure. I just started thinking about it. There's grad school and PhD and teaching. There's parish and school ministries. There's some students who are seminarians studying for priesthood, Adam explained. Mary was swirling one last morsel of bread in her pasta sauce pool. She slowed as she listened and then stopped suddenly. Hmm, mm hmm, all important roles in the church, in our world, but surely not something the young man could live on by himself, right? This is more of a side hustle is what people call it now, right? Priesthood is a side hustle? What are you talking about, Mom? Adam asked, still pretty patiently. No, no, the ministry stuff. I mean, those people study it for fun and then find full-time jobs with it and volunteer to be religious ed teachers or something. You wouldn't do that for a career. Dad does, Adam replied. Sort of, but Dad has me, and people like Marty have people like Rose, and the time they have free is for their kids. Um, yeah, okay, but then, like, priesthood is a career, and a vocation, and a whole state of life, Adam declared, soldiering on. Oh, sure, of course, Mary affirmed. Priests are integral. But you'd never be a priest, she blurted, speaking in a way she thought to be matter-of-fact, but that was actually pretty cold. Adam was flummoxed, and his face showed it. Why do you say that, he asked. How do you know? Without additional commentary, Mary's mom bones told her she had pushed too far and missed something. And Adam's leading question tipped his hand enough that he need not say what he was explicitly thinking. Mary rolled her lips in over her teeth and popped a sound. She then looked down slightly and back up at Adam. I'm sorry, she started, then paused. I don't know. It'd be great to talk about this more. I do need to tie up some loose ends from work. Just uh, leave the dishes, and I'll do them later tonight, Mary said. Mary nodded brusquely, tossing her napkin onto the table beside her empty dish. With that, she turned and left the table, headed to her home office desk. Adam didn't move. Adam had easily the darkest hair in the crowd, or congregation more precisely. It was 8.02 a.m. on a Tuesday. 
Adam and his dad had enjoyed an early and expeditious coffee and donut breakfast before Josh headed to work and Adam headed to church. Adam didn't bring up the previous night's dinner or his mom's comments. For that matter, Josh didn't bring up his conferences, including the ridicule a few angry parents launched at him. They talked about Notre Dame football, the looming midterm elections, and tangents into American history. None of it was about denial. It was all about leisure. Adam had gone from the squeaky plastic chairs of a donut shop to the steadfast lacquered pews of the church. The white-haired denizens of St. Brendan dotted the rows in ones and twos, a steady and reliable crowd even if sparse. It was silly to hold mass for such a small group in such a large space, but trying to cordon off pews to funnel people forward would widely be considered unpastoral in many Catholic circles. So Adam joined the little congregation, as spread out as stars in a vast galaxy, easily junior in age to each and every one of them by several decades. The sacristy bell chimed, the faithful rose. Father Andrew, the associate pastor, emerged in basic vestments into the sanctuary. The greeting, penitential rite, and collect flew by, and Adam was plopping down in his pew to listen to the readings before he knew it. This was a good day to be in the context of Mass, not to pine over its every word with urgent aggression. Adam let the readings wash over him, and he gently stewed over the offbeat conversation with his mom, not unlike the garlic and olive oil he set over a low flame as he prepared a meat sauce. In lieu of listening to the reading, he just heard it. Rather than respond to the psalm, he stared at it. He rose for the gospel, but not to receive it, not in his head, on his lips, or in his heart. All the while, he antsily sat in a restless stupor, feeling he needed to be there to inch toward a reset, but not knowing otherwise how to accomplish it. He continued going through the motions by sitting down for the homily. All he had concluded in the 12 hours since dinner was that he was disappointed and surprised by his mom. Father Andrew preached very, very briefly, sheep and goats, damnation and salvation, or something. The priest set his own altar and cruised through the Eucharistic prayer with urgency and piety. Offering communion in just the one species and on his own, he descended the steps with shaborium in hand and invited the faithful forward. Adam rose from his kneeler and shuffled forward with the elderly folks, more physically self-aware at this point, but nowhere new in his head and heart. His wheels started turning a bit when he acknowledged not just the age around him, but the vocations. These folks are likely all parents and grandparents, he thought. They've probably all had every manner of weird, uncomfortable, awkward conversations with their kids, too. I wonder how all of them turned out. And then something more dawned on Adam, a little silly yet a bit wise. The agony in the garden perhaps the all-time most awkward parent-child talk ever recorded. Adam, now a few people from receiving communion, had to stifle a chuckle. Apparently, when it comes to humor, he is one of his own biggest fans. Oh my gosh, Jesus told his dad he didn't particularly feel like doing this thing. His dad didn't step in to let him off the hook. And Jesus just rationalized real quick, no, no, it's fine, I'll do it, I'll do it. This time, Adam chuckled audibly. His little laugh punctured the pious quiet just as the last person before him received communion and sidestepped on out of the way. Adam squelched the chuckle just as he made eye contact with Father Andrew. The celebrant's brows raised and bounced. Father Andrew let out a wide smile and then tilted his head a little toward Adam as if to say, should I be worried about you? Are you going insane? Adam returned the smile and gently shook his head, offering an understated dismissal of Father Andrew's hypothetical concern. Adam lifted his hands for communion. Father Andrew happily obliged by presenting the host, the body of Christ. Adam thought again of God, the non-interventionist parent, and Jesus, the squirrely son, and smiled through his amen. Adam consumed the host and turned back to head to his pew. 
the sum of these moments became just the interior icebreaker he needed. My mom loves me. I love my mom. We had a weird moment. She still wants what's best for me. I still want to include her and have her support, Adam concluded. But how do I bring her in on this? And what if her skepticism isn't just a clumsy instinct? What if it's truly how she feels? This was at least a more constructive jumping off point. Adam felt like he had shifted from stasis into reflection, and he could more comfortably dwell there. The incidental fallow space of sitting at Mass and coming forward to communion welcomed the grace of new seed on the soil. When Father Andrew sent them forth to live the gospel, Adam directed that propulsion toward the sacristy. He felt like he needed to check in with Father Andrew and assure his priest of his sanity. Adam knocked on the doorframe on the sacristy, as if it were an office or the threshold of a home. He calmly entered to find Father Andrew with his back to the door, busying himself with robes and hangers in the vestment wardrobe. Can you be a prodigal son if you left with every intention to come back, and without having squandered your wealth? The priest asked, without turning around, before Adam could speak. Maybe I am more comparable to the 99 sheep? Just hanging around, not a major concern. Totally fine if the shepherd has to split for a second to corral a lost sibling. Adam clapped back. Father Andrew smiled as he shut the doors of the wardrobe and turned to Adam. He reached out, now in short-sleeved clerical blacks and unencumbered by billowy vestments. Adam received his hand for a strong handshake. Did I hear you came back to help Miss Hope with a youth night? Couldn't even wait until fall break to have your first homecoming, he asked Adam. No, not for Miss Hope. My friend's little sister is still in high school, and his mom was covering one of the nights for Hope. She got a bunch of young adults to talk about post-high school vocation stuff, Adam explained. Wait a second. Did you? To the group? Father Andrew stammered. Ah, no, nope, not what you're thinking. I just talked a little bit about going to college and thinking about majors, nothing about priesthood or religious life, Adam replied. Ah, okay, Father Andrew said. But are you still, or? Adam smiled. Yeah, I mean, yes, I would say I am. Father Andrew nodded. During Adam's sophomore year, St. Brendan held a vocations weekend. For youth night, Adam and his peers went to the old school gym. There, a dozen tables were set up, and each one was covered with pamphlets, bookmarks, pens, and stand-up posters. Among the tables were a mix of men and women, some in everyday business casual clothes, and some in more formal-looking religious habits, vocation ministers from religious communities in the diocese. Hope had invited her youth simply to interact with their visitors and learn a bit more about what each religious community does. Her non-binding challenge to them was to find the religious community that matched their personality or interests best. Adam remembers the missionary sisters and priests being very popular, as the teens were drawn to their exotic pictures of faraway countries and vibrant communities. Adam's eye pulled him to the Oscarians. Adam talked with the vocation director for a few minutes about St. Oscar Romero, about Eucharist and church life as a liberating uplifter of communities and about the need to go and sustain faith communities where social pressures angled to oust them. The charism, or spiritual gift of their namesake, was constancy in preaching the gospel and living the faith, especially among the poor and marginalized, no matter the outside pressures. For whatever reasons, the prospect of such an apostolate didn't intimidate Adam. Quite the opposite, it stoked something largely latent in him. He had an instinct to serve, a desire to study his faith, a rare maturity to resist the rougher edges of teenage hijinks. A bit unaware, Adam spoke with the Iscarian brother for quite a while, all the way until the end of the session, when Miss Hope corralled them all back to the church for share-out. She asked for volunteers and got a few to offer their thoughts. Then, after a pause, Adam chimed in. 
I spoke with the Ascarians, and I love the directness of going where the poor and their faith communities are in peril. It seems so simple, almost obvious, to move ourselves to stand more fully with them and walk with them to uplift them. Father Andrew had manned a table for the diocese that night, when he was still working at his previous parish, and he was among the vocation directors from religious communities. All of these men and women had followed the students back to the church, but kept their distance while standing at the back of the church. The Iscarian brother had given Adam a card, but Miss Hope asked them not to collect any information from the youth without their parents present. Father Andrew glanced over at the Iscarian brother, whose head bounced in ever so slight nods as he listened to Adam. Miss Hope's parting words for the evening were simple. Everyone who entered religious life or priesthood had to start somewhere at some time. Someone had to be the first to invite them or plant the seed of discernment, whether for priesthood or religious life, or for a future as a married person and parent. Tonight, I hope these men and women, myself, and your peers could be part of that. My question is simple. Have you ever thought about becoming a diocesan priest or religious brother, sister, or priest? Father Andrew looked up toward the youth, now scattering for the night, and casually made his way toward Adam to chat. Though not actively suspicious of the Iscarian, he wanted to be sure that Adam was comfortable with the conversation he'd had that evening. Adam confirmed it was a great conversation, and even acknowledged it had planted a healthy seed. That conversation Adam had with Father Andrew was the first time that Adam had told someone he was thinking about religious life and priesthood. He hadn't even admitted as much to the Iscarian. They would talk many more times in the following years, after Father Andrew came to St. Brendan. It would always be in safely public chats, and it was always pretty brief. This morning, Adam had a new chapter to add. I had a weird moment with my mom last night. It's why I was in a haze during Mass, and it's why I snapped out of it laughing during Communion, he explained. Father Andrew was done tidying the sacristy. He now turned around and was leaning against the sacrarium counter as he looked across the room toward Adam, who remained in the doorway. It was just my mom and I last night, and I made her dinner. Good man, Father Andrew interrupted, pointing inspiringly at a young man who was trying to be a good son. Adam nodded. Eventually, my major came up, and I admitted I was thinking about theology. Before I could even get on to what classes I'd take and why it was interesting, my mom was asking about career and income. She stopped just short of saying I couldn't do this major or pursue these jobs, but I think she could sense a vocation could be part of it. She kind of walked away at that point. I think she's against me becoming a priest. Father Andrew's eyes popped to a widened look for a split second. He clicked his tongue against his teeth a few times and clicked his teeth. Dang, he started. That's, well, I'm sorry you had to face that moment. Me too, Adam agreed. Father Andrew let the moment breathe. Real talk? Since you're a mature soul who doesn't want the rigmarole? Some parents just can't imagine it or won't imagine it or have never imagined it and they need time and gradual processing to build up to it. But honestly, some may never warm up to it either. I was lucky. Father Joseph was lucky. Our parents were deeply supportive from the get-go, and in my experience, most Catholic parents are immensely proud, even if not so right away. It helps that you have siblings and nephews and nieces, that your mom already is a grandmother, but it also may have deepened her sense of grandmotherhood and put an undue expectation on you to grow it further. Adam didn't disagree, and he was glad Father Andrew knew him well enough to cut to the chase with directness and honesty. But Adam's worry was wider, and he identified it then. Truth be told, Father Andrew, I think it's a little of that, but I think it's mostly the money. I think my mom is worried I won't be wealthy, that I won't have a big bank account, a nice big house, my own nice car, 
a big old retirement account. I think she's more scared of my relative poverty. This reset Father Andrew a bit. He thought of his ordination. He had pledged obedience to his bishop and promised to be celibate as his chastity. However, he didn't profess a vow of poverty like his religious peers. He thought of the previous parish he had served in his young priesthood. The rectory certainly suffered from aging wooden, creaky floors, but it had ample space, plenty of chance for the priest to have privacy, comfort, and personalization, and provided an ample fixed salary to sustain himself steadily and reasonably for both necessity and some leisure. At no point along his way had he felt impoverished, even if he was living more simply and under more fixed constraints. Yet, even with all this quickly cataloged in his memory, Father Andrew knew Adam's mom wasn't concerned over any of that. She thinks if you're not rich, then you're not a success? And she reflects that on herself? Does it seem like she thinks that would make her a bad parent? Father Andrew asked. Adam barely hesitated, nodding as he admitted, I think so. So the good news is that you understand your mother well. And if she has the self-awareness to end a conversation before she says something that goes too far, she knows herself well too. The harder news is that I think you'll have to steer this ship a bit. Father Andrew gathered his thoughts a moment. Let me ask you a question. How seriously are you thinking about religious life and priesthood? I would say I'm thinking about it seriously for sure, but I'm not thinking about it every day. And I'm not itching to become a priest tomorrow or anything. I want to be a college student and enjoy campus life and study to earn a degree right now. That's perfect, Father Andrew said, nodding calmly. I admire your maturity, separating seriousness from urgency. There's no rush right now. Most formation programs want you to be 21 or 22 before considering applying, and they usually want you to have an undergraduate degree done. Plus, it sounds like you're not drawn to an undergraduate seminary type situation, so well done. With all that said, I suggest you slow play it with your mom. Flip the conversation back on her a bit. Learn more about how she chose her major, why she chose her career, what motivates her to seek to earn such a living. It will help you learn more about her, learn where she's coming from. Maybe it'll even prepare her to walk with you with greater charity and empathy as you keep these considerations going, Father Andrew advised. But then also, what about your dad? I'm not worried about him. He doesn't know anything, but I'm not worried about him, Adam shared. Funnily enough, I don't worry about the new friends I've made at college either. Most of them are from a faith-sharing group I joined, and we even have a seminarian with us already. Honestly, it might be kind of fun and helpful to bring it up to them sometime soon. Nice! Okay, so just mom right now. Give her some time and grace. Maybe don't press too hard, but definitely don't feel defeated. She's your mom, you're her son. You can probably find understanding together this time, like you probably have so many times before. And... As I think of it, a lovely woman, and mom, named Jill, who goes to this parish too, had a bit of a similar experience. Her daughter caught her a bit off guard with news of discerning religious life. Though their challenge was that her daughter presumed Jill would be disappointed, but Jill was actually excited. Maybe you all talk sometime down the road. I can arrange it. Adam nodded as if he had just found the correct road to turn on while asking for directions. Well, Father Andrew said, slapping the countertop midwesternly, you know where to find me. Hope you feel more peaceful now than when you strolled in this morning. Adam thought of the initial stupor, the ice-breaking humor, and now this apt and wise conversation. I definitely do, he replied. Father Andrew reached out to shake his hand and added a fraternal pat on the arm. The priest moved to lock up the sacristy, and Adam turned to head on the way. Adam left some fallow time. He spent a few days staying up late and watching movies and binging shows. 
He let himself sleep in until well past his parents' exits to work, emerging back into waking life only when he knew he had an empty house. He went for a few runs on familiar neighborhood streets. He FaceTimed his siblings and nephews and nieces. He grabbed coffee with a few local friends with whom he did not discuss theology and vocations. By Thursday evening, Adam was pretty relaxed, not up in his head like he was a few days earlier. And he wasn't feeling the need to push himself or God too hard for shaky clarity. The mass, the conversation, and the simple time brought him calm. And that Thursday evening, as his parents scrolled and chatted in the dim glow of nightstand lamplights, he decided to head to bed at a reasonable hour. He would rise early, make some breakfast, and try to talk to his parents about their work, about his school, about various proposed structures for revising the federal child tax credit, about whatever. That Friday morning, Adam's phone buzzed him out of sleep at 6.25 a.m. He pre-programmed his body to resist snoozes and shot out of bed. Adam expeditiously threw on some warm layers, hit the bathroom, and cruised downstairs in five minutes. His dad was at the table, fully dressed, three quarters of the way through some sausage and eggs. His mom wasn't even in the kitchen anymore. Adam looked around the corner to see that she had her coat on and was throwing her arm through a briefcase bag and then a tote bag and grabbing a sizable and full travel coffee cup. She saw him approach her and her eyes lit up. Adam, you're up early? Hey, I love you and I hope you enjoy your last weekday here. We can figure out our plan tonight to get you back there this weekend. Love you, Mary said. She leaned in, holding back her precarious bundle of stuff and kissed him on the cheek. She rested her head on the side of his face for a split second, and then she was off to the car in her commute. Adam squeezed in a partial, distant mini-hug somewhere in the midst of all that. He turned back to the kitchen then, and there his dad was bringing his empty plate and used flatware to the dishwasher. You guys are out the door at 6.30, Adam asked. Josh laughed. Yeah, it's early, right? He said, sitting back down to finish his coffee mug. Dad, I was going to make mom breakfast. I was going to hang and talk with you guys. That's a nice thought, man, but good luck trying to keep up with mom. My goodness, Josh declared. Adam was a bit frozen. The wind was out of his sails, and he was just tossing on the sea. You know, it's hard to imagine, because she still worked a good number of hours toiling away at that home office desk. But mom actually trimmed down her work time a bit while you and your siblings were in high school, Josh said. Adam, standing there indecisively, used the gravitational pull of the story to flop down into a seat at the kitchen table with his dad. Between rides to and from school, practices and rehearsals after, road games when you guys are in sports, and everything else at home, she didn't want to be so unavailable that she couldn't help out. Couldn't be there to take you, couldn't be there to watch and cheer, Josh explained. But now that you're all out there and the nest is empty, she works as much as she wants, because she enjoys it, not because she has to. I mean, there were definitely times when she was pretty haggard, or ran a few minutes late, but she did do a good share of the chauffeur duties, and she did show up to a lot, Adam admitted, thinking particularly of her presence at his senior night for baseball. He should have and would have gotten an at-bat and some innings in the field after riding the bench as a backup outfielder most of the year, but the team was on the edge of qualifying for the playoffs. The coach talked to his seniors before the game and explained that he needed to coach aggressively to win this game and the two road games they had left. That meant he couldn't give out at-bats and defensive innings the way you typically might on senior night. But he assured them of his gratitude, and that their pregame ceremony would be everything they imagined. Adam was really disappointed, but mostly understood. He went through pregame a bit robotically that day, glossing over the special feeling of it being his last time on the home dirt. After long throws to the plate, he jogged in from center field to grab his seat in the dugout. Just before he passed through the fence to the bench, he saw his mom climbing out of her car in the back of the parking lot, 
and feverishly fast walking to get to the bleachers with some bouncing balloons pulled along by taut strings trying to keep up with her. Adam got his shout out in pregame and his mom and dad came to join him and the other boys and parents on the field. He didn't play that day. They actually lost a close game late and were eliminated from contention. But he knew his mom had to bust her butt to get there, and he'd always have that memory of the three of them on the field together. Dad, Adam blurted, I think I might declare theology as my major. It's partly because I really like my 101 class and the classes I could take if I continued. But it's also partly because I'm thinking about religious life and priesthood. Ever since I met those nuns and brothers and everyone at youth night a few years ago, I have the thoughts now and then, and I think it might be a good fit for me. Wow, that's, that's exceptional, Adam. Have the thoughts. So how serious do you think this is? Josh asked his son. Hard to say exactly, but it is serious and real. I just still want to be a college kid. I don't want to be looked at like a seminarian or something all four years long. Okay, so you're not wanting to broadcast this much? I can keep it chill. Okay, I'm excited for you. Does your mom know? That's the problem, Adam explained. It started to come up the other day, and she did not react well. I think she legitimately had some work to do that maybe distracted her a bit, and I think she legitimately worried she reacted poorly. But she hasn't brought it back up yet, and neither have I. So can you discern religious life and priesthood openly? You sure can, but acceptance and accompaniment will happen differently than maybe it used to happen. Impressions of it being a life of selfless service and profound prophetic commitment are still out there, yet such reactions may be rarer and more deeply buried away than they used to be. On the upside, the pressures aren't so high to be full go in your discernment right away. Few, if any, vocation directors will try to recruit young men and women with pressure and rigid expectation. The mixed blessing, then, is that it leaves more space open and leaves more of the process up to the discerner to seek and develop. And as it happens on that young person's terms, the twists and turns, the surprises, and hopefully some consolations, will come in unexpected sequence and unique form. The challenge for moms and dads, brothers and sisters, grandparents and mentors, friends and companions? Cultivate accompaniment. Receive people with charity, curiosity, and warm compassion. Be a trustworthy person of reference who can measure your reactions, ask thoughtful questions, and walk side by side aware of those whose hearts are burning. Hmm, well, you know your mom. She's proud. She works hard. She loves us and her work. She loves to earn her living. She loves to provide a stable home and great opportunities. What you shared, it probably didn't compute immediately or cleanly with her. She didn't instantly know how this field study and maybe this vocation would honor all that. My guess? She impulsively thought that'd be a bad use of all this time and money and energy we put into education and everything. But, knowing your mom too, I know she may have thought that at first, but then also have been able to hang on to it, keep it minimized, and make herself think more about it. And I know she quickly thought better of it, Josh explained. This is why Adam wasn't worried about his dad. Not only could his dad handle him correctly, but Josh could also break down Mary's reaction. Your mom doesn't lack empathy, but it's just not as instinctive for her. It's more intellectual. It comes from processing. You have to let her think her way there. Her head and heart can work well together when she takes time and puts some controls in. Josh gulped his last bit of coffee down, bottoms up, and rose to set his mug in the dishwasher. On his way there, he noticed the time, 6.48 a.m. Okay, Adam, I hate to do this to you, but I have to hit the road. I usually leave shortly after your mom, but there was no way I could leave you hanging when you get up at 6 a.m. on your break from college, Josh said as he returned to the table and physically moved Adam upward to stand for a hug. Josh wrapped his arms around this Mary-infused, smaller copy of himself and held tight. Adam rested his face on his dad's shoulder top 
his hands on his dad's shoulder blades. Then Josh gently pushed Adam to arm's length so he could talk to him eye to eye. I'm proud of you for whatever you do. I'm proud of you for thinking about this and sharing this, and I'm proud of you for loving your mother patiently, Josh said, releasing his grip of Adam's shoulders and giving them one last firm pat. Josh threaded his arms through a beat-up, jam-packed backpack and threw a fall jacket over his arm. He went to open the door out to the garage but stopped to turn back toward Adam. Oh, an idea, Adam. Bring your mom lunch. She never packs one. She never has any idea what she'll eat or when she'll eat. She just leaves in the morning with her work bag. She usually realizes how hungry she is about 1 p.m. and gets food at 1.30ish, Josh explained, drawing on the deep reservoir of knowledge he'd filled about his wife. Maybe just show up at 12.30? Adam gave a small nod and narrowed his eyes to make a plan. Josh tapped the back of the door and then pulled it shut behind him to leave. Mary sharply pressed the speakerphone button on her desk phone. Her 11 a.m. conference call was slated to take an hour. Here at 12.25 p.m., they had just wrapped up for now, still nowhere near a resolution. They agreed to table it until 11 a.m. tomorrow. Mary was not wild about the Saturday appointment, but good with the one-day hiatus. She was done with these clients and their indecision. Mary grabbed her straw-top water bottle to take a big gulp and rocked a bit in her desk chair. She set it down to give her eyes and temples a good rub that might reset her to decide what's next. A tinge of hunger panged in her gut, but she was well-practiced at ignoring that feeling until it was much sharper, usually later in the day. She started to pick through the file folders in the wire organizer on her desktop when there came a knock at the door. Mary looked up to see one of her paralegals opening the door. Before her confused expression settled in too much, Adam followed right behind her. He brandished a brown paper bag from Panera. Inside were two carry-out soup cups nestled safely in the bottom of the bag, held upright in a perfectly crafted cardboard tray. Resting on the lids were two tightly wrapped sandwich halves. The paralegal exited and pulled the door shut to leave a son and his mother alone. Mary rose from her seat and strode across the room to meet Adam. She gave him a mom hug. She was indeed hungry, and she was glad to see her son. The choice was made for her, and she was glad she now knew what to do next. Vocations, vocations, vocations. Whew. It's certainly rare, but not non-existent, to hear of a diocese or a religious community where vocations to priesthood and religious life are abundant. There's a myriad of reasons for this, accurate or overstated to varying extents. If I had to put it concisely, I'd say we still generally take for granted that people who are baptized Catholic as infants and the families raising them will belong to a parish and participate in that community by mass attendance and or more. As a result, we struggle even to sustain the amount of parishes and ministries we have, let alone cultivate vocational awareness and discernment of one's invitations from God. In my time as a pastoral minister, and in four years encountering specifically focused on vocations ministry, I'd say there are two extremes too often envisioned or practiced. On the one hand, an old guard remembers a time when novitiates and pre-seminaries had ten new candidates each year with little more effort than prayer and invitation, often invitold invitations at that. And these folks assume modern vocations will spring forth simply from private prayer and devotions, just from God. On the other hand, some folks imagine a very overt recruitment mindset that is almost headhunting faithful teens and young adults and trying to track them towards theological studies and religious formation. In reality, an effective vocations ministry in the 2020s and beyond 
one that will speak effectively to Gen Z and subsequent generations, has to embrace some evolving norms. Here's a few that I think are integral. One, you have to present vocations with universal call language. Start with baptism. Identify the theologically central belief that we are all called to holiness. Remind all the baptized faithful that they are all called to holiness, all called to embrace their nature as God's beloved children, and all called to respond in loving service to others and God. This needs to be something that all Christians understand at their spiritual cores. Two, focus on states of life, vocational awareness, and a culture of discernment. When speaking to youth and young adults, always acknowledge the full validity and complete fulfillment possible in living as a single person, married person, priest, or professed religious. We have to establish a new paradigm that sees vocation as one's response to the gifts, passions, and talents that God gave each of us in creating us in love. From there, we need the witness of people from each state of life to bring color and depth to lived experience. And this must include religious men and women, and priests and deacons. In this full palette of life, young people can see all paths possible and consider each of them in good faith. A major part of this is putting religious men and women and priests and deacons before young people to give witness. And when these religious and ordained people speak to youth, they need to state this spiritual truth. God is inviting young women to religious life, and God is inviting young men to religious and ordained life. And then ask them the question, not necessarily in a personal one-on-one way, but at least to the young people as a group. Could God be inviting you to religious life or priesthood? The seed needs to be planted intentionally. Three, commit to accompaniment. I always liked being a campus minister at a school rather than a pastoral minister at a parish. I liked the captive audience, knowing I had my students eight hours a day, five days a week for the better part of nine months. It enabled me to focus on getting to know them, connecting their gifts and passions with ministry and service opportunities, and seeking to form them to be people of committed and lively faith. I know I would struggle immensely in a parish where, at best, people come for mass and maybe one youth event a week or month or year, and you're often trying to build communities from scratch. Now, with Catholic school enrollments often decreasing and parish populations, attendance, and mass counts often decreasing, the opportunities to help young people discern and live out a vocation will come less from traditional avenues. We cannot rely on religious ed programs, Catholic high schools, and parish youth groups as strongly as we may have in past times. There needs to be more emphasis on tracking young people as they move on to college, trades, the military, and other next steps. Communicating by texts, social media, direct messaging, calls and video chats, and perhaps video conferencing or hybrid events in as much as is possible and can be done according to safe environment standards as relates to minors and with appropriate relationships between adults. Vocations still do sometimes come through undergraduate years with young men and women entering formation out of college, but there needs to be more openness and attention to the mid to late 20s, 30s, and even 40s as people live out different faith journeys and progressions as people mature at different, often delayed, rates, and as people perhaps consider religious life and priesthood more seriously only at later points. This is a trickier prospect since adults at these ages are only in familiar ecosystems at lower, less reliable rates, and we may need to go and meet and engage them anew. We need to honor the differences between these older adults and the teens and undergrads, and invite the lived experience as independent adults, as professionals, and even as seekers and strugglers. And all of this newer ground has to be seen as potentially fertile for discernment and religious life priesthood vocations. 
In chapter 4, Adam lets on, bit by bit, that he may be considering a religious life, even just as a teen and new college student. Yet, for his apparent maturity and earlier sharing, it doesn't mean his discernment will be direct, decisive, and final. As he invites his priest, his friends, and his parents into the circle of trust, there will be bumps in the road, mixed reactions, and a young man who is still growing and learning amid it all. For all the joy of his grace-filled discernment, there is a lot happening and a lot yet to come. As religious communities and dioceses navigate new and changing norms, the ideals I've described here may not even be ideal in just a few years or so. But just as individuals need a growth mindset to be able to understand new things and adapt in positive ways, so too do institutions and leadership groups. Our vocation directors and ministers need to keep trying to understand generational trends and changes and do their best to be where young people are. If we can do this faithfully, I believe we will have the vocations we need to sustain the church. And if that's a lower number than we're accustomed to having, then I believe the Holy Spirit can help us toward the evolutions needed to keep fueling our church's fire. Instrumentals for this podcast were composed and performed by Jason Pham.